don't have to guard our words or hide the true feelings of our heart. We can express ourselves openly before our King. But in the future, we will have the privilege of speaking freely, not in prayer, but of speaking freely in God's actual presence. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. On today's program, Tom continues in his current series in Ephesians chapter 3, titled God's Great Secret. We're looking at God's once unknown but now made manifest great eternal secret found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This great mystery, God's secret plan, is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ by His life, death, and resurrection. And today Tom will look at how God's eternal plan, specifically His great and eternal secret plan, always results in the exact wonderful end that He intends. The question remains, what are God's great purposes for this revealed mystery discussed in Ephesians chapter 3? If you're in Christ, do you know what He has in store for you? Let's join Tom Pennington to discover more from God's Word right now on The Word Unleashed. Today we come to the results of God's great eternal secret plan. And the results that God's plan produces are exactly as He planned them to be. And they are all absolutely wonderful. And it's our joy to look at them together this morning. For the last two weeks, we've been studying the first half of Ephesians 3. We've discovered that this really is a one-sentence digression, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 3 and running all the way down through verse 13 is a long interruption. In verse 1, Paul begins to pray for the Ephesian believers, and he mentions that he is a prisoner of Christ for their sakes. As he mentions that, it reminds him that he is, in fact, about the Gentiles. His ministry is for the Gentiles. And as he thinks of that, he interrupts himself for 12 verses. And in this 12-verse interruption, before Paul gets back to his prayer down in verse 14, in this interruption, he refers several times to God's mystery. God's mystery. As you look at that word in the Bible, you have to get every semblance of the English definition out of your mind because it has nothing to do with our English word, although originally our English word came from this Greek word. The Greek word is mysterion, or mysterion, actually. In biblical terms, a mystery is a divine secret, a divine secret that was at one time known only to God and would never have been discovered, but a secret that God has now made known to us through the Scripture. That's a mystery. So it is a secret in the past tense. When you read the word mystery, it's no longer a secret. It's no longer a mystery. It's been fully revealed to us by God. But it's something that at one time only God knew, and now He's made known. That's the theme of this interruption that Paul has in verses 2 through 13 of Ephesians chapter 3. We're working our way through this passage by allowing Paul to answer a series of questions about this mystery or this secret that God had. Let me briefly review what we've already seen together. 
as we've worked our way through this passage. In verses 2 through 4, Paul answers the question, to whom did God reveal his secret? And the quick answer is Paul. But then Paul goes on to explain that it wasn't just for his sake, but it was for the Ephesian believer's sake, and ultimately it was for our sake as well. God intended to make his secret known to all of us. That was God's intention. In verse 5, Paul answers the question, when did God reveal his secret? And the short answer to that question, question is in the first century, through the ministry and life of Jesus Christ, and especially through the revelation given to His apostles and prophets in the New Testament era that is recorded for us on the pages of the New Testament. God gave us, in the New Testament, His secret revealed. So the first century would be the answer to when The third question is, what is God's secret? What is God's secret? And in verse 4, Paul tells us what the secret or mystery is. He writes, the mystery of Christ. That is, the mystery that is the Messiah. Christ himself is the mystery. Or we could put it like this. God's secret is a person, Jesus Christ. And That secret is multifaceted and multidimensional because what Christ does is multidimensional. And so in verse 6, Paul explains one dimension of the mystery that is Christ, and that is in Christ, he brings together believers from different backgrounds, Jew and Gentile, into one new entity called the church. Verses 7 through 9 answer the fourth question as we flow through this passage, and that's how did God broadcast his secret to the world. How did God make known His secret? And the answer found in those verses is through a specially chosen man, the Apostle Paul. We ended our study last time by answering a fifth question found in verses 10 and 11, the answer is. And the question is, why did God reveal His secret? Why did God reveal His secret? You see, God had a plan that Paul calls in verse 11, the eternal purpose, literally translated, God had a plan for the ages. That's what the Greek text says. God had a plan for the ages. And God chose to make that known to us. At the very epicenter of His plan was Christ Himself and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. But God planned to do that, to exalt His Son, through a new community of redeemed believers called the church. The church is the theater in which God is putting His wisdom on display, not just for us to see, but for other human beings to see, but beyond that, even and especially, he says in verses 10 and 11, for angelic beings, powerful, awe-inspiring, angelic beings, both holy and demonic, to see the wisdom of God. That's what God was doing. That's why God's made His secret known. So his wisdom can be seen in the church. Today we come to the last two verses of Paul's digression about God's secret. And in these two verses, he answers this question. What are the results of the secret? What are the results of God's great eternal secret being revealed? Look at verses verses 12 and 13. Ephesians 3, verses 12 and 13. In whom, that is, in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. 
Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. In verses 10 and 11, we learn about the purpose for which God revealed His secret, but in verses 12 through 13, we find the practical ramifications, the implications, the application, or we could say the results of God's revealing His secret. In these two verses, Paul either clearly states or implies four practical results of God's making His secret known to us. Four eminently practical results for our Christian lives. Because we now know God's great secret, these results are a reality for us. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've reached the point where you have repented of your sins and you have believed in Him and Him alone is your only hope of heaven, then these results are for you. The first wonderful result is this. We have the privilege of free speech before God. We have the privilege of free speech before God. Verse 12, in whom, that is in Christ, we have boldness. The Greek word translated boldness here means confidence, but a special kind of confidence. It's confidence in what we say, confidence in speaking. A few New Testament references, I think, will help you understand this and how it's used. In Mark chapter 8, verse 32, we're told that Jesus spoke plainly. It's this Greek word. He spoke plainly. In John 7, verse 13, we're told that Jesus spoke openly. Same Greek word. But let me take you to one passage that I think makes it very clear. Turn to John 16. John 16, in the upper room discourse, the night before his crucifixion, this word is used a couple of times, and it really helps us understand the context in Ephesians. John 16 and verse 25. Jesus says to his disciples that night, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, literally in Proverbs or in figures of speech. I haven't spoke clearly or plainly, but an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you, here's our word, plainly of the Father. Now notice verse 29, the word appears again. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. That's our word, to speak plainly, to speak openly. That's how the word is used in the New Testament. In this case, the etymology of this word helps us as well. Now, it's dangerous to look at the etymology of a word and shape its meaning from that because words change in meaning over time. So the root will often lead you astray, but in this case, it doesn't. It sort of fills out our understanding a little bit. This word that's translated boldness in verse 12 of Ephesians 3 was originally used by those arguing for free speech in Athens, the ancient city of Athens. A citizen of Athens, they argued, should have the right to speak freely without fear of reprisals by those in authority. They essentially used it in the same way we use the term free speech. But the primary picture behind this word in the times of the New Testament didn't have to do with freedom of political expression. It had to do with being able to speak freely in the presence of your king, your earthly king, your earthly sovereign, the national king over your country. In the ancient world, 
a king's personal authority often trumped the rule of law. So the king could decide on a whim whether you lived or whether you died. With that in mind, when you came before a king, you were very careful in what you said. You didn't speak freely to the king. You guarded your words. And sometimes you were even tempted to be what? Dishonest. We've all heard the story of the emperor's new clothes where all of the, all of the people around the emperor are telling him that his new wardrobe, which in fact doesn't exist, so he's walking around naked, they're all telling him his new wardrobe is beautiful. They love his new clothes. Why? Because they're afraid. They understand that to speak the truth, to speak freely, is to risk the wrath of the king, the emperor. But there were always a few people around any monarch who by virtue of their position or their loyal service or their wealth had the privilege of speaking their minds freely. Now obviously, he was still the king, so they did it with respect, but there was a freedom of expression to say what they were thinking and what they were feeling. Do you see the picture behind this New Testament word? In the same way, Paul is arguing that because of God's great secret, the person of Jesus Christ, and because of his bringing together Jew and Gentiles into this new community called the church, we all now have the privilege of speaking freely before our king. We don't have to fear an outbreak of his wrath. We don't have to fear his changing whim in which we're banished from his presence. What does this practically look like? What does it mean to say that we can speak freely before God? Well, right now, in the present time, it means we can speak freely before God in prayer. Again, respectful, he's still the king of the universe, but we can speak freely, openly, without fear of reprisal, without fear of wrath or judgment. Let me show this to you. This word is used this way of prayer, approaching God in prayer a number of times in the New Testament. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. This is what Paul is saying we have. We have free speech before our king. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews puts it like this. He's been saying we have this high priest who, who can sympathize with us because he's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, therefore, let us draw near. He's talking about figuratively drawing near. He's talking about prayer now. Let us draw near with, here's our word, confidence. Same word translated boldness back in Ephesians 3. Let us draw near with free speech to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come and freely speak of our needs. Read the Psalms. That's what David was describing. The reality of freely approaching God. In his case, he was looking forward to the secret, Christ coming and being revealed. In our case, we're looking back. But he was approaching God with a sense of freedom of expression. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. You see it again. Hebrews 10, verse 19. After the writer of Hebrews has described Christ as the perfect sacrifice, he says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, boldness to speak, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Verse 22, let us draw near. There again, he's talking about prayer, drawing near to God in prayer at this point. Over in John's first letter, 1 John chapter 3, 
you see the same usage of the word. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have boldness to speak, confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This isn't a promise of a carte blanche, whatever you ask God gives you. As we'll see in a moment, that's qualified by praying in accordance with His will. He's simply making the point that we can speak freely and make our requests known before our King. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, John comes back to this theme. He says, this is the boldness to speak which we have before Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So folks, think of this. Paul is saying that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, because the secret has been revealed, because Jesus has done what He's done, you and I can speak freely before our King in prayer. We don't have to guard our words or hide the true feelings of our heart. We can express ourselves openly before our King. But in the future, this takes on a different look and feel. In the future, we will have the privilege of speaking freely, not in prayer, but of speaking freely in God's actual presence, in His literal presence. In fact, stay here in 1 John and look at chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, Paul uses, or excuse me, John uses this word the same way here in verse 28, but he uses it of the future. Now little children, abide in Him. That's talking about persevering. Continue to remain in Christ. Abide, persevere, so that when He appears, we may have boldness to speak and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. Same Greek word, translated confidence here as boldness in Ephesians 3. When Jesus comes, when we literally stand before Jesus Christ, because of what He has done, we don't have to shrink away in terror, but we can speak freely in His presence. In spite of His majesty, in spite of His glory, in spite of the awe of seeing the God of the universe, we will be able to speak boldly in His presence. In chapter 4, verse 17, John uses it again. He says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we also in this world. We can have boldness to speak on the day of judgment, not because of us, but because we will be able to say, Father, I'm here not because I deserve to be here. I'm here in the righteousness of Christ. Receive me for His sake freeness and boldness to speak in the presence of the God of the universe. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that on the day of judgment, if you're in Christ, you won't have to shrink away in abject terror? But instead, because of Christ, you have free speech before God. There's a second great result of the revelation of God's secret. Not only do we have free speech before God, the privilege of free speech before God, but secondly, we have the privilege of free access to God. Verse 12 again, in whom we have boldness and confident access. Now, we've already seen this word access back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. It says, through Jesus, we both, that is Jew and Gentile, have our access to the Father. In other words, 
It describes the right to enter the presence of the Father. We have access. Here, Paul adds, confident access. The Greek word essentially means the same thing as our English word, confident. It means to be fully assured, to have no uncertainty about what we're doing. We have confident access. We have the right to enter the presence of God, and there's no uncertainty. We are fully assured that we have such a right because of what Christ has done. When I was in seminary, I, for four months, traveled with a brass ensemble. Notice, I did not say I played in a brass ensemble. I said I traveled with a brass ensemble. I was the leader of the group and the preacher. We were in a different church every day for four months and two different ones on Sunday. That's where I cut my teeth preaching. All those people were forced, you know, they were sort of the guinea pigs, forced to listen to me for all those months. One of the men that traveled with me in our group had an acquaintance who at the time was head of the General Services Administration of the Reagan White House. And he arranged for all of us who were a part of this group to get a private evening tour of the White House, including a brief look in the Oval Office. Now, I could try to make it sound very impressive. The truth is, Mrs. Reagan was up in her room, and the president was away. Why did it happen like that? Because I had no access. I had no access to the president, much less confident access. But you and I, as children of God, Paul says, have confident, free access into God's throne room, into His presence. Again, he means in prayer now, we have access to God in prayer at this point, and in the future, we will have actual physical access into the literal presence of God. What an incredible reality. You and I will see the face of God. We will have access into the presence of the God of the universe. And today we have it in prayer. Where do these two great privileges come from? Why do we now have the privilege of speaking freely to our king and a free access into his presence? Well, in verse 12, Paul gives us two reasons. At the beginning of verse 12, he says, in whom. That's a reference back to the end of verse 11. Our Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, we have these privileges in Christ because of our connection to Christ through the objective work of Jesus Christ our Lord. These privileges are ours because He lived as our substitute and because He died as our substitute. We have free speech and free access. The second reason is at the end of verse 12 through faith in Him, through our faith in Christ. These two great privileges are ours, not because we deserve them, because we've earned them, because they're our right, because we're worthy of them. They are ours solely on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone. If you have any hope of accessing the God of the universe, you must put your entire hope of ever standing in His presence on the life and death of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as your substitute. And for those who have, we have the privilege of free and open access into God's presence.
There's a third practical result of knowing God's great secret. We have the assurance of purpose in our trials. We have the assurance of purpose in our trials. Look at verse 13. Paul writes, Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. By therefore, as he begins the verse, Paul means in light of what I've just shared with you about this plan of God's, you know that I'm a prisoner in Rome because of my ministry to you Gentiles, and that could be a source of discouragement to you. But I'm asking you not to be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged at my tribulations. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of his series, God's Great Secret. Tom will have part six for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.